0: Well, um, what a wonderful song. I love that. You might have noticed we tried something different too, a little bit of backing track. So uh, let us know what you think about that. Uh, Enjoyed it. Uh, We had uh, a young family over for dinner this week, Uh, a couple with two small children. Uh, We have got some toys at our house, Um, but the most popular toy was this little dry erase Board like a little a little whiteboard with a black pen. There's nothing special at all about this size, and um, and the little girls they wrote words and they drew pictures and then they told us stories about the pictures, uh, and their dad said, "Isn't it funny with all of the over-engineered toys that we have? Um, something as simple as a piece of pen and paper, that's the most popular, uh, and their imaginations do the rest." Uh, so it got me thinking about children's games uh, and the kind of games that I played as a child. Uh, it's quite fun. Uh, it's quite a fun exercise, actually, thinking back to your childhood, try to remember what you did when you were very little. Uh, well, my brother and I, uh, we were the two who played together a lot. Uh, we played lots of imagination games. It was the early 70s, and so we just landed on the moon, so there were lots of astronaut games, uh, lots of adventure games. We were always pilots or mountain climbers. Uh, we had rocks near our house. Um, there were cliffs. I can tell you there were cliffs, and we used to climb up and down them with ropes and Well, actually, we went back as adults, and they weren't cliffs at all. They were tiny, tiny little rocks. But in my five-year-old's imagination, we might as well have been climbing Mount Everest. And the other game I remember is Follow the Leader. It took a while to think, what is that even about? What do you do with Follow the Leader? Um, In the Follow the Leader game, uh, there's a leader at the front. Everybody lines up behind them, and they have to do whatever the leader does. A funny walk or a a funny action. Um, It's a really great way to get kids, by the way, uh, to do something you want them to do. Uh, And so if you've got kids or grandkids, it teaches them to listen and to obey. Uh, And I've seen parents do this at a crosswalk. Uh, They've said to their kids, follow the leader, and all of a sudden the kids just snap into action instead of running across the road. Um, I believe it works for getting kids to brush their teeth, but the evidence is still to be tested. (laughs) Follow the leader. Uh, It's an important lesson uh, for our children, but... In our Bible passage today, um, we're going to see that following the leader is an important lesson for us uh, if we want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ. So why don't we pray that God would teach us an important lesson about following the leader as we open the Bible. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, please teach us what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to trust him. Uh, Give us insight now as you speak to us from the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, we are at the final week of our sermon series on Matthew chapter 13 to 16, Uh, the hidden treasures. We've been uh, exploring it for the last 10 weeks or so, digging deeper into Jesus' miracles and and Jesus' teaching and trying to find the deeper meaning, uh, the hidden treasure in it, trying to uncover a side of Jesus that most people don't see, most people miss it. Now, most of what we've looked at for the last 10 weeks, it's been all about um, Jesus and, and piecing a picture Piecing together a picture of who he is. But today's passage is a little bit different. Um, it's much more about us and, and the way that we respond to Jesus. So let me read you the passage. You'll find it on the back of your song sheet uh, from Matthew chapter 16 at verse 24. Well, then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, our passage starts with Jesus saying, whoever wants to be my disciple, I love this, it's open to anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple. Um, What exactly is a disciple? Um, Well, the word um, disciple, it means a student or a pupil or, or a learner. And the idea of discipleship originally came from the world outside of the Bible. Uh, for example, in the classical Greek world, uh, philosophers um, would be surrounded by disciples. Um, they were students who attached themselves to a great teacher uh, and their teachings. And so that concept of disciple it meant more than just remembering the words of the teacher. it often meant emulating their life, imitating them, following them and becoming like them. That's a cultural idea behind discipleship. It came from outside the Bible. And then by the time you get to Jesus' ministry, um, we see that over the three years of his public teaching, he's gathered a group of disciples. Uh, These people had begun to follow Jesus and to follow his way of life and to to learn his teachings. And you can imagine why, can't you? I mean, Jesus was a charismatic figure. He pulled the crowds. He spoke with authority. He uh, healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He stood up to the religious hypocrites. In fact, there was a rumor that he was going to overthrow the Roman emperor, the Roman Empire that was occupying the place where they all lived. He was going to restore Israel back to its former glory. Why wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? He was this rising star. You want to hit your wagon to that. And there are often moments, though, when Jesus takes his disciples aside, He takes them away from the crowds, and he speaks to them in a more intimate setting. And often those are the moments when he reveals truths to them. Truths that wouldn't make him popular if you said them in the middle of a big crowd. And this is one of those moments. He says in verse 24, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus wants his disciples to understand the true price of discipleship. Or the true cost of following him. Because being a disciple of Jesus is not a, a fast track to fame and, and influence. It's not a fast track to fame and influence. It's a call to imitate the teacher and to follow whatever path the teacher follows. And so he, he, de, he describes it three ways. He says, firstly, it's a path of self-denial. Um, throughout history, there have been many spiritual movements that are all about denying the physical in order to attain the spiritual deny the body, concentrate on the spirit. Um, We call them ascetic movements. Ascetic? How do you say it in American? Ascetic. I think we say ascetic in Australian English. I'm glad we didn't lose that in translation. So these ascetics, they seek to discipline the body by limiting the amount of food that goes in. Uh, Somebody was said to have not eaten or drunk anything during the whole period of Lent for 40 days. I think medically that doesn't seem... Like it could have happened, but apparently it happened. Some limited their human contact. Some of them gave up speaking. Uh, they put themselves into uncomfortable physical situations. Uh, in the 4th century AD, there was a young Christian man uh, from Syria called Simon the Zealot. Or Simon the Stylite, in fact, they called him. They called him the Stylite because he decided to worship God. He needed to sit on top of a pole. And he sat on top of a pole for 37 years. Um, there's a joke. He took ascetism to a whole new level. <laughs> I just need to explain it. Now, is that what Jesus means when he says we need to deny ourselves? Is he talking about denying ourselves food or drink or sex or material goods? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying that being a Christian means depriving yourself of those good things? Well, I don't think that's what he's saying. The Bible is clear that the Christian life is full of blessings. Now, there's friendship, there's marriage. There's family, there's extended family, there's satisfaction in work and the enjoyment of all the things that God gives us. You know, even wine and sex, which often get a bad rap. Well, they are good gifts of God to be enjoyed in the right contexts. So becoming a Christian doesn't mean becoming an ascetic. What it does mean is a different kind of denial. And that is denying our innate sense of sovereign control over our lives. Um, I don't know if you know this, but by nature, right, we all act as if we are the sovereign ruler of our little world. You might have a bigger world than me, but we feel like we're the sovereign ruler over the world that we are in. We're the, the king or the queen of our life. Um, again, the, the British in me. Um, we're the king or the queen of our life. We're the ones who wear the crown, and we make the decisions, right? We are in control. But Jesus says that his disciples must reject that narrative, we need to recognize God as the authority over our lives. There's an image of exactly that, uh, this, uh, this idea of making sure that God is the one who wears the crown. This image in the book of Revelation, there are 24 elders and they come to the throne of Jesus uh, where they worship him and, and they lie down in front of him. And all 24, they take off their crowns and they lay them down. It's a symbolic gesture that says, I'm not the king of my life, you are Jesus so Jesus says that whoever wants to be his disciple, they need to deny themselves. I think that is to take off your crown and give him the authority over your life. Second thing he says is you need to take up your cross. And now we read this passage with twenty twenty 20 hindsight. <laughs> the cross is the symbol of Christianity, isn't it? Uh, we know that not long after this dialogue took place, Jesus would literally take up his cross and be killed. But His disciples didn't know that at this point. Uh, But it wasn't the first time that Jesus had told them, you need to take up your cross. Uh, The first time was back in Matthew 10, 38. And his disciples, well, they understood the symbolism of the cross. Crucifixion had become um, familiar to the Jews in the two centuries before Jesus was born. Uh, There was a terrible um, Seleucid emperor called Antiochus Epiphanes IV. uh, And he wreaked a, a terrible persecution on the Jewish people in about 168 BC, uh, and he had, uh, I think for, from what I understand, this is the first time the Jews had really exper- uh, experienced crucifixions. Uh, those people alive hung on crosses to die. Uh, they knew about putting up dead bodies on poles, but this was the first time people had been killed in that manner. And then a century later, about 68, 70-something BC, there was a Maccabean ruler called Alexander Jannaeus, and he crucified 800 Pharisees on a particular day apparently he sat feasting as they died he was a terrible person and so for the jews they understood what it meant to take up your cross it meant to be a dead man walking it meant to walk towards your execution to to understand that your pathway is not your own to walk anymore it's a one-way journey and jesus says that anyone who wants to be his disciple must take up their cross also and the room is pin drop quiet by the way It's a challenging passage, isn't it? For some who followed Jesus that day, the path of discipleship would literally lead to a cross. A tradition has it that out of all of the apostles, only the apostle John would die a natural death. All of the others would be killed violently because of their association with Jesus. And even today in some cultures, becoming a Christian means that a person might face physical death, persecution that leads to them being killed. And so is Jesus saying that we should all expect to die if we want to become a Christian, is is Christianity a pathway to martyrhood, martyrdom? Not literally. But metaphorically, the idea is that a true disciple will be ready to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. Even if the cost is giving up your old life, dying to who you used to be, and uh, when you wore the crown, when you called the shots, dying to that person. And choosing this new path of following Jesus, wherever he might take you in life. And that's the paradoxical nature of discipleship. Becoming a Christian is the greatest thing you could ever do. It brings hope, it brings forgiveness, it brings assurance, it brings joy, it brings courage in the face of death. But to get all of those things, it's going to cost you everything. Do you remember how our series started? With a treasure buried in a field, and the person had to give up everything to gain this treasure that was actually worth more than anything they could spend on it became such a wonderful part of their life. Well, Jesus puts it like this in verse 25. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Uh, We were talking about kids games earlier. Um, Do you remember this one? Finders keepers, losers weepers. I think it's, you know, when you, you, when you were the first one there and you got a donut or something, and, or you, you took your brother's donut. Um, that happened in my house a lot. <laughs> finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Um, well, Jesus turns this game upon its head. He says, actually, the losers will be the finders. And he says that the keepers, that will be the weepers. See, those who lose their life, those who relinquish control over their life, those who die to self, those are the ones who will find life in Jesus. It's paradoxical, right? And whoever holds on tightly to who they used to be, well, those who can't turn their back on their old life, those who, who, who can't give up their life, Jesus says they'll be the ones who end up losing the greatest gift that they ever could have known. They'll end up losing it. They'll lose in the long run. Because when Jesus talks about life, he's not just talking about this lifetime. The Bible's very clear that this lifetime is not all there is. Jesus wants you to find life in this lifetime. And if you're a Christian, you know that's what you've found. But he also wants you to find eternal life. This life is short and there's a lot of eternity to come. But when we concentrate too much on this world, it means we, we lose sight of that eternal life, that long game that's ahead. If you focus only on the here and now, when you live today as if there is nothing more, well, Jesus says this, He gives a warning to those who live this life as if it's all that there is in verse 26. Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What could you give in exchange for your soul, he says. Jesus says there are people who spend their life trying to gain the whole world. You know them, don't you? You might be one of them. I think I've got that in my nature. But Jesus says, What good will that do on the day when he returns? When he he comes in glory and power, and those material things no longer matter, when your body is no longer on this earth, will all of that matter? Jesus says. See, the stark warning of verse 26 is that our soul is at risk. And what can you give in exchange for your soul? You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't show your resume at the gates. You can't negotiate with Jesus. You can't do a deal. You can't trade off your intellect. You can't can't do any of those things. None of those things matter on the day that you meet Jesus. Not not in an eternal sense. It's all about what you do with your life and, and who you live it for. Because one day, Jesus says, we will all be held to account for how we've lived. Jesus says in verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come. That's Jesus. He says, I'm going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I never know what to make with these passages where it says you're going to get a reward in heaven. I'm pretty uncomfortable with that idea that some people are going to have a better reward and some will have less. It feels like it makes it all about what we do then, doesn't it? It seems to take away grace. So I'm going to ignore the idea of reward and and see if I can explain it this way. I, I think what it means is this. Jesus will return one day. He will return one day and it seems like the reward will be according to the way that we lived. Those who have lived their earthly life in service of Jesus, whatever career path you take, you live your life in service of Jesus, well, you will have an eternal reward, the reward of eternal life. And those who've lived for themselves well, they have already received their reward in full. They've had their life. This is a challenging passage, isn't it? <laughs> this is challenging. Discipleship, following Jesus, living as a Christian, it's not a part-time choice. It's not a, it's not a, not a 50-50 choice. You can't be a little bit in. You're all in or you're all out. Um, taking up your cross means making this decisive choice, a deliberate choice, to follow Jesus or not to follow Jesus. Uh, to lay down your crown at the feet of Jesus or to keep the crown firmly on your head, to trust Jesus or retain control over my life. It's a hard choice, I know. I've been making the choice every day for the last 30 years. And daily I feel like it's a choice. It's a choice that's given me an incredible life, incredible fulfillment, not necessarily material riches, but spiritual riches beyond measure. And it gives me an underlying peace that, It's hard to explain, but for those of you who know Jesus, you know this peace. And I imagine it's the same peace that Jesus had as he walked, as he took up his own cross. As he walked towards the place where he would die, he denied himself. And he followed the path that his father had set up before him. And Jesus knew that even in his moment of death, even the moment of losing his life, he would gain life that was eternal. Not just for himself, but for all of us who trust in him i going to finish uh, by telling you a story of a young man um, named Jim Elliott. Some of you perhaps know the story of Jim Elliot. Uh, he was a promising student at Wheaton College in Illinois. Uh, he was a champion wrestler. He was an amateur poet, he was an honor student. Uh, he was admired by all of the, uh, the students there. He, he dated and he married the prettiest girl on campus. And uh, he was a big man on campus. But he was also a Christian. And the words that we've just read about losing your life to save it, well, they had a deep influence on him. And so during his senior year at Wheaton, he wrote in his journal these now famous words, and I've put them at the bottom of the Bible passage there. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God called Jim Elliot to take the gospel to an unreached tribe in the Ecuadorian jungle. Uh, Elliot wrote, I'm glad to get the opportunity to preach the gospel of the matchless grace of our God to stoic or pagan Indians. Uh, it's from a different generation. I only hope that he will let me preach to those who've never heard the name of Jesus. What else is better in this life, he said. I've heard of nothing better. Lord, send me. If you know the story, Jim and his four associates were killed by the tribesmen before they had a chance to share the gospel with them. Uh, Jim gave up what he couldn't keep. He gave up his earthly life to gain what he could not lose, eternal life. That's not the end of the story. Due to the publicity uh, generated by the martyrdom of Jim and his colleagues, it actually meant that thousands of other young people decided to become missionaries to take up that challenge and that call of losing their life for the gospel, giving up The dreams and plans they had for careers and instead putting their focus on sharing jesus Uh, beyond that the widows of the martyred men they actually went back to the tribe and had the chance to share the gospel with them and by god's grace the people who killed jim and his associates became followers of jesus christ as a huge turnaround story Uh, years later a young man was traveling in ecuador Uh, he was flying in a small plane over the jungle And uh, the man and the pilot got talking about Jim Elliot's ministry. A young man said to the pilot, when we fly over the place where Jim Elliot and the others died, can you show me? And the pilot said, I can't take you there. And the young man said, well, why not? He said, because Jim Elliot didn't die in Ecuador. And the young man was a bit perplexed. He said, no, no, I know that Jim Elliot died in Ecuador. The pilot said, Jim Elliot's body died in Ecuador. But Jim Elliott died while a college student at Wheaton several years before when he yielded his life to God no matter the consequences. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Will you pray? Heavenly Father, you've described a gift that we can barely imagine. It seems almost intangible. But Father, help us to understand this gift of life in this lifetime and the gift of life that is life eternal. Help us not to hang on to our crowns, but to lay them down at your feet. Father, help us to trust you in all of these things. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he, that he teaches us the pathway to take. Help us to follow the leader, our Lord Jesus, in all of the ways of our lives. And we pray in his name. Amen.